Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our loving, life-giving, liberating God, amen. Please be seated. Today's gospel includes one of the most iconic lines in all of scripture. It's a line that has been broadcast from the stadiums of NFL games, set to music by composers, a line that Martin Luther once called the gospel in miniature. We will unpack that line in just a moment. First, I want to talk about the context. Because just as John chapter 3, verse 16 may be said to sum up the gospel, our cultural reaction to the line may sum up the conundrum of being Christian today. We often forget the context. If you read just one verse, you miss Nicodemus. Don't miss Nicodemus. Our presiding bishop likes to call this episode in the gospel Nick at Night. <laughs> because Nicodemus comes into the cover of darkness. And Jesus has this late night talk with a scholar, a leader, a teacher of Israel. Notice how many titles John gives to Nicodemus. I need to pause here because at the heart of this story is a set of questions, a tone of curiosity from this religious official. And, and questions and curiosity are undervalued in Christianity. And Christians over the centuries have developed an addiction to certainties. We want concrete, once and for all answers. We want to know we are right and others are wrong. The Jewish tradition is more content, writ large, to wrestle with questions. We have difficulty understanding this story in our day, in part because of the deep history of anti-Semitism through which we inherit our tradition. How many of you pinged on that word Pharisee today? Christians for generations have used the word Pharisee to talk about legalistic, simplistic, overbearing faith. Friends, that's a form of anti-Semitism. Modern Judaism traces its roots to the Pharisees. Our rabbi in residence, Roy Pickernice, who will be here in a couple of weeks to preach, she stands in the same tradition as Nicodemus. If Pharisee is a word you use to describe overly righteous people, I'd invite you find a new word. Notice what Nicodemus calls Jesus in this story. Rabbi. It's not the only time Jesus is called rabbi. Sometimes we forget the tradition from which we come. Nicodemus honors Jesus here. The two rabbis sit together and discuss, debate. Like in many an exchange between rabbis, we find wordplay. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born anew. And you got to know that word anew has a lot of translations if you're going to understand what happens between the two of them. You might be used to a different translation of that word. You must be born again, yeah. There's another translation that the NRSV uses, which was our most common Bible around here for a couple decades. You know what that one is? You must be born from above. The Greek is this 
wide kind of understanding. It, it has a lot of meanings. I actually want to argue for another translation of this Greek word today. I want to tell you, I think the best translation of this verse, what Jesus says to Nicodemus is this. You must be born from the source. If you're not born from the source, you can't see the kingdom. Let me make a case for that. Nicodemus' next rabbinic question, it, it gets at this wordplay. It, it's trying to drive Jesus closer to his meaning. Nicodemus takes the broadest translation possible again. And he says, how can someone enter a mother's womb again? And everyone who's ever been pregnant goes, oh, right? <laughs> Jesus responds, and he talks about being born of the Spirit, Water in the spirit, clearly a reference to the early practice of baptism in the church. But Jesus says in that paragraph three times, three times, born of the spirit. That's why I think the translation, unless someone is born from the source, it's not possible to seed God's kingdom, is useful. I'll get back to this question of the source and translation in a moment. But let's pull back the lens from the text and we've been focused on translation. Let's, let's zoom out. This chapter of John, as I mentioned, it does a lot of work in modern Christianity. How we read these verses, how we interpret this passage can tell us exactly what kind of Christianity we intend to practice. I know Christians who would walk out of this church if they heard a pastor say that you shouldn't translate this line, you gotta be born again. Do you know some of those Christians? I've been arguing against some of those Christians in Jefferson City in recent weeks. The story we read today, the story about Nicodemus talking with Jesus under the cover of darkness, it invites us to ask ourselves about our own perspective on faith. Lent is a good time to assess your sense of your perspective on faith. How many of us are covert about our Christianity? How many of us avoid calling ourselves Christians in public because of the agenda so often associated with that label? How many of us don't talk about our faith lest we get lumped with people with whom we disagree? Friends, I gotta be honest with you. I think our world needs us to get loud about faith. I do. All over this country, I think the world needs Christians like us to get a little louder. We need to step out into the light a bit. I think Missouri needs us to be loud because in this church, we believe that God is love. Full stop. In this church, we believe that faith is about learning to embrace the excluded. Now, let's be clear. God loves trans kids. God loves LGBTQ plus people. The Christian response is to listen, to learn, and not to try to legislate people away. You can't legislate people away any more than you can legislate history away. There is too much hate out there being espoused by so-called Christians. Our state needs some Christians who are willing to be loud about God's love. And now, one of our legislators is a member here at Holy Communion, and I talked to Joe Adams this week, and he knows, and he's not going to vote for any of this nonsense. So I've saved you one phone call. <laughs> but since we're saving you calling your legislator, I want you to call someone else. 
Call your cousins in rural counties. Explain your opposition to don't say gay bills. Call your kids' soccer league fellow parents. Organize to write a letter to the editor saying that you want trans kids to be allowed to play on the teams corresponding to their gender. Call your supervisors at work and ask the company to make a public statement against healthcare bans for trans youth. If those asks make you nervous, you can tell them your pastor told you to do it and it's Lent and so basically you have to make the call. <laughs> Nicodemus was nervous. He was nervous that his faith might make him socially unacceptable. At this point in the gospel, Nicodemus isn't willing to sacrifice his sense of security for his expanding sense of what God might be doing. But there's hope for Nicodemus. Stay tuned. Come back in Holy Week. Before I conclude, I want to return to this idea of being born from the source. I also want to cover that weird story about the snake on a stick. Jesus says that just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What does that mean? And the book of Numbers tells the story of the bronze serpent. The Israelites, after complaining in the desert, are faced with poisonous snakes. My dad hates this story. The Bible tells us that many people died. Moses made a bronze serpent at God's request, and he lifted it up on a pole. I call this story snake on a stick. The people who were willing to look up at the serpent lived. They survived. This is a weird story. And often it's interpreted simplistically by Christians, this, this Jesus telling it and relating it to his crucifixion. It, it, it's like you just have to believe in Jesus as if that was a clear proposition. Wouldn't it be nice if following Jesus was just a one-time intellectual decision? My sense of Jesus is that he's often elusive, like he is with Nicodemus. He's often challenging us to go deeper, to go broader, to go bigger. It's not just a one-time thing. You can't read it simplistically. The best modern interpretation I know of the story of the snake on a stick is psychoanalytical. A lot of work gets done in therapy to get to the source of our troubles, doesn't it? And to move past denial, past repression, suppression, all the ways that we hide from the truth. Some scholars have wondered if this is how we should read the bronze serpent, if this is how it functions. God says to the people, you have to look at the source of your pain in order to move past it. You have to face that which is killing you. A lot of folks that come to this building week in and week out for 12-step meetings, and they can tell you the first step is admitting that you are powerless over the problem. In that sense, Christ's cross saves precisely because humanity has a problem. We are addicted, addicted to violence, addicted to hatred. We are addicted to control. John Sabrino, the Salvadoran liberation theologian, talks about the crucified people of history. The crucified people. Christ stands in solidarity with all those, our power systems around race and money and gender and nationality and sexuality, the, the people that continue to be abused by our legacy of violence. Jesus knew that legacy of violence in his own day. 
And too often we are unwilling to look upon the victims. As Christians, as people who lift high the cross, we bear a specific need of repentance. We've allowed a faith which is supposed to teach us solidarity with the victims to become a justification for the victimizers. Christianity is meant to take us to the foot of Christ's cross, yes, and our faith is a call to stand at the foot of all of the crosses in our own day. Our faith invites us to stand with those who are shut out, who are judged. Christians stand with people when their humanity is questioned. That's what it means to look on the cross. We have to be willing to look on the sources of suffering, our own and those of our neighbors. We have to be willing to go to the sources of pain because we believe that no source of pain is final. Nothing that causes pain has the final word. All the power of the corrupt Roman regime did not have the final word. Hate and violence do not, will not have the final word. The cross itself did not have the final word. Love is the final word. Jesus wants each person to know your birth into this tribe or that tribe isn't what makes you worthy. Whatever happened to you as a child, whatever bad decision you are still paying for as an adult, that isn't who you are, not truly. Be born from the source. Know. Know that you are loved by God. Help your neighbor know. The bigotry of some Christians is not from God. God is love. God's love is the deepest source. And God's love is who we are called to be in this world. Let's get to John 3.16. How does it begin? God so loved the world. And too often this verse, like so much of Christianity, is used as a bludgeon. Too often the emphasis is put on the dependent clause at the end of the verse, those who believe in him. That's not the emphasis. Even the translation of believe is tricky. In the Greek, it's much closer to those who put their trust in him. That's not the emphasis in any case. The emphasis is the first phrase. God so loved the world. It's on God's cause for action, not on our response. And God so loved the world echoes in the next verse that too often we leave out. I really wish those signs at football games said John 3, 16 through 17. <laughs> right? God so loved the world that the world might be saved. The word here in Greek is cosmos. Cosmos. That's the word for world. This isn't some limited idea of the world, not limited to my congregation or my denomination or my view, no. God's love doesn't act on our small agendas. God won't save just an elite handful who hold the right beliefs, belong to the right church. God's love encompasses the cosmos. The gospel in miniature is nothing less than God's love, which has the power to save. God's love has the power to save us from one another, from all the ways that we persecute and pursue power. God's love has the power to save us from ourselves if we are willing to move past the source of our pain and toward the source of all life and love. That source is available to you 
in every moment, even when the world feels dark, especially when the world feels unjust. God's love is there, waiting for you to step out of the shadows. God so loved the world, the world. Amen.